welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 751. Is vindicated, and everyone goes home happily. Except for those who aren't, of course. And if I don't pass this test, I asked? Or what if you decide I'm not good enough to take it? Then things grow complicated. She came to her feet. Come. Shaheen has asked to speak with you today. It would not be polite of us to be late. Bashet led the way back to the small cluster of low stone buildings. When I'd first seen them, I'd assumed they were the town itself, but I knew they composed the school. The group of buildings was like a tiny university, except there was none of the scheduled regimen I was used to. There was no formal ranking system either. Those with their reds were treated with difference, and Shaheen was obviously in charge. But other than that, all I had was a vague impression of a social pecking order. Tempe was obviously rather low and not well thought of. Bashat was rather high and respected. When we arrived for our meeting... Shaheen was midway through performing the ketan. I watched silently as she moved at the speed of honey spreading on a tabletop. The ketan grows more difficult the slower it is done, but she performed it flawlessly. It took her half an hour to finish, after which she opened a window. A curl of wind brought in the sweet smell of summer grass and the sound of leaves. Shaheen sat. She wasn't breathing hard, though a sheen of sweat covered her skin. Did Tempe tell you of the nine and ninety tales? She asked without preamble. Of Aetha and the beginning of the Adem? I shook my head. Good, Shaheen said. It is not his place to do such a thing, and he could not do it properly. She looked at Fashet. How is language coming? Quickly, as these things go, she said. However... Very well, Shaheen said, switching to precise, slightly accented Aturin. I will tell it like this, so there will be less interruption and less room for misunderstanding. I did my best to gesture respectful gratitude. This is a story of years ago. Shaheen said formally, before this school, before the path of the sword tree, before any Adem knew of the Lathani. This is the story of the beginning of such things. The first Adem school was not a school that taught sword work. Surprisingly, it was founded by a man named Aetha, who sought mastery over the arrow and the bow. And that's the page. I'm Jordana. I was muted. I'm Nick. I'm Jeremy. <laughs> I actually want to start at the back end of the page. The sentence s- starts, surprisingly, it was founded by a man named Aetha. Is it surprising because they're a man? Yes, and because they sought mastery over the arrow and the bow. Instead of the sword, which I assume is the main weapon of the current Adem? It's certainly the weapon of, of Shaheen's school. Of the Latantha school, yeah. I don't think we've seen bow-wielding Adem. I was certainly surprised when I read this the first time, because like I don't think of them as a bow-and-arrow society. 
but I I think that you're right, Jordana, that it's kind of meant to, it's probably meant to be both. And Shaheen gives us more context for the bow and arrow thing on the next page. I have one other note before we move on. And that is that when they come into the room after Shaheen finishes the Katon and she opens the window, I think that the the curl of wind that brought that brought in the sound of leaves is like I don't know. It just it's perfect. Like it feels special because it's wind and wind is important and it's leaves and leaves will kind of be important because they're related to the tree. It felt special, I'm sorry. That's that's all I got. <laughs> cool. Okay, you can do your notes now. I mean the the one that that grinds my gears is that Tempe is obviously rather low and not well thought of. So it seems like Foth has picked up not just from Vashit, but from other people he's come into contact with that Tempe is kind of low on the packing order. And we talked about that plenty on the last page, but I, I know that I've been really resistant to the idea that people think Tempe sucks. I'm like, no, don't people don't think Tempe sucks. You're crazy. And sad to say here it is on the page. Plain as day, people think Tempe sucks. Well, clearly the people Quoth has met think that Tempe sucks. Yes, and those people have made themselves my enemies because I think Tempe rocks. Well, go tell that to Carceret. I will, but first I'll have a gun. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not stupid. Fair. The Katon grows more difficult the slower it is done. I think that is a a interesting and verisimilitudinous idea. If you think of like watching people perform Tai Chi, it's like so slow and precise. And I and I can see how like holding one position for a long time or like moving slowly and precisely and deliberately is actually quite a strain as opposed to like moving fast. So I can I can see how that how that works. Indeed. Indeed. That sounds you know, this is another more Tai Chi energy. The nine and ninety tales definitely has a ring to it the arabian nights yes yeah yeah i was thinking the arabian nights Quoth says there's no formal ranking system and maybe it's not formal but there are like placements on the stones right when Quoth finally goes for his test they are kind of placed at each stone uh, ostensibly in like order of their seniority and I think they even refer to them as like mm. being of the first stone or something like that. Maybe that just means like how, but yeah, even if it means just how far you've passed on your test, that still kind of means there is a a formal ranking system of a of a kind. Maybe it just hasn't been exposed to Quoth yet. Yeah, and maybe maybe it's a little bit more fluid than than what we think of as like you know ranks in an army or like the belts in you know karate or whatever. Mm-hmm. But how sad to be Tempe and have achieved the highest possible, the most aspirational position in your whole society and still be thought of as like a bum and not treated very well. Like how deeply sad. I mean, I think that's that's a little bit much. <laughs> I don't think so. It seems if there is indeed no formal ranking, just that Shaheen's in charge, then like that's a tragedy to me that like Tempe... Tug's collar can't get no respect. Do you think that all the generals in the U.S. military are afforded the same respect by their peers or superiors? Uh, actually, that's a fair point. Probably not. Right? He's still incredibly high status. I'm sure he is afforded the proper deference he is due by, uh, you know, people who aren't mercenaries, people who don't take the red. I think that what this is more akin to, to me, is office politics or like professional position jockeying. And actually, 
I think Shaheen does treat him with more respect than Vashid or Karsarit do. And Shaheen is higher ranked than both of them. Shaheen like takes his concerns seriously. She reprimands him when he speaks out of turn because that's the defense lawyer trying to speak while the prosecution's talking in a courtroom, right? He's like broken decorum. But then she takes the trouble to speak to him afterwards. And to me, that indicates that like she wants to like take him seriously. She's like, look, I had to shut you down because the rules are the rules. But here's the thing. I think that your barbarian will prove his worth, blah, 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 blah. That's kind of the sense of what I get her saying to him. I realize none of that's on the page. What I'm coming to is like, I I think that he does face prejudice. And I think he faces prejudice because he has unusual ideas. Like maybe it might be okay to masturbate in public sometimes. And because he's a man. And it's frustrating to see him like not given the respect he's due by his social peers but I don't think that we should take that to mean that he is like the Jar Jar Binks of Edemra, because I don't think that that's the case. I do like the idea of the like the general that nobody likes, like the one who doesn't get invited to to like poker night because <laughs> he's boring or terrible. I mean, and there's plenty of examples of that character in fiction too, though they're usually played for comedy. But sometimes they're like the scrappy underdog. In fact, not to bring it back to a place of Star Wars, a thing we love to do on this podcast, but. In Disney Plus's Andor series, which is quite good. I really came around on it after disliking it initially. Uh, The character of uh, Daedra is an up-and-coming ISB officer who is really competent and good at her job. But because she's a woman, the other ISB guys don't give her the time of day and are constantly undermining and belittling her. And it's a great example of cognitive dissonance because I'm really rooting for her. She's the bad guy. (laughs) Yeah, and she's she's a fascist and she's like hunting down and trying to torture the other characters who I'm also rooting for. Which is very like Game of Thronesy, because I'm definitely cheering for people on all sides of the conflict in Game of Thrones. But I think part of the reason why you're cheering for her is because she is an underdog and she's facing like systemic prejudices, despite being very good at her job. I would definitely read the novella of like Tempe navigating the Adam politics. I think he would be an interesting point of view character. Yeah, it would be like I mean, so much of this is us reading between the lines and kind of like daydreaming and imagining what must be happening based on the limited information we have. And I think it would be really interesting. It's always interesting to read a book from someone's cultural perspective that you're just not familiar with at all. And the Adem are a fascinating culture. I would read a whole series of books about them. Cool. Good. Yes. It is cool. It is cool and good. This letter is from Sarah from London who writes on Quoth's sex life. Dear page people. Thanks to your discussion on page 692, I've spent a lot more time than I really want to thinking about Quoth's sex life. It is true that all the liaisons we hear about are casual, but some of them are so by their nature, e.g. Lozi, because he's only there for a short time, and then all his lovers in Ademra, because that is the culture. He seems to have respect and affection for his partners there, but I don't think there is any suggestion that anyone forms long-term monogamous relationships. I assume they don't see any point to it when there is no stigma attached to having sex, a strong communal life so you wouldn't be raising a child alone, and they find the idea that men have anything to do with reproduction absolutely laughable. When he returns to the university, none of his encounters are worthy of an introduction to the reader, but the text suggests that he feels unworthy of anything more. I don't have any coherent thoughts about why this should be as he can obviously sustain meaningful relationships with women where it isn't sexual, Auri, Devi, Fela, Mola, and of course he has real feelings for Denna. It was only at that point I was re-listening to the audiobook and reached his return to the university at the same time as this page of the podcast, 
that he didn't feel he deserves more that made me reflect on it. Otherwise, I'm not sure it needs any more explanation than that he's a teenage boy who suddenly found out how to act on all the female attention he gets. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that point of unworthiness, though. Wishing you all the tea and scones, signed Sarah from London. I think we touched on this and will again that I think that, again, this is the reflection of Denna, where he is sort of coming into the same realization that Denna has, where he understands that he like has this uh, affect. I was going to say effect on people, but not exactly. He has this affect and he can sort of like flex it. And he is a teenage boy who is enjoying female attention. But like Denna, he sort of doesn't feel like he's worthy of anything more than that. Yeah, I... I think I completely agree with your letter and I think we're identifying like two slightly different things, right? I think a criticism that's often leveled at this book is the way that Cloth treats women. And I think you've correctly identified that uh, there's nothing wrong with the way that Cloth treats women in particular because the social situations, he's acting perfectly respectfully in the social context in which he finds himself. He's having casual sex when it's appropriate to have casual sex and he's being respectful of those casual sex partners in the way that it is appropriate to be respectful of a casual sex partner. And then I think the reason that he doesn't seriously date anybody thus far is exactly that. I think he, he does have this like self-loathing streak where he has decided that he's unworthy of, of love in that way. He can't imagine being worthy of it. And I think that you can argue that that all goes back to his trauma that he feels like because he failed, he feels like he failed his parents really profoundly by not saving them or not dying with them. And I think that therefore he feels that he'll never be worthy of love because he's not worthy of that. There'll always be something wrong with him, something poisoned uh, about him. And possibly he even feels as many characters in fiction do. This is a well-worn trope of many genres, fantasy not least among them, that uh, it's too dangerous to be around me. Everyone I love dies, so I, I can't have anyone get close to me and I have to push them away in one way or another. Uh, which, of course, is exactly how Denna feels and part of the tension of their relationship is if you could just take each of those characters, shake them by the shoulders and say, you are worthy of love. This person loves you. Now go kiss them. Then there would be no story because they would just kiss. Quoth as survivor's guilt and Denna as survivor's guilt are also interesting reflections of one another. If it, you know, we talked about this interesting potential for Denna being part of the Lanra story, or at least having an origin that's similar to Quoth with her family uh, dying. I think that is extremely interesting. Your, your read is very convincing and it might have changed my mind, but initially my thought on this was just sort of that like, it's a little bit part of the teenage condition to want love and also feel like maybe you don't deserve it. Oh, absolutely. Do all teenagers feel that way? I hope so, because I certainly did. <laughs> I, I don't know about all, but I think it's a very common and relatable teenage experience, especially if you are not like a popular kid. Yeah. To be clear, I think that popular kids can absolutely feel that way too, but I think it is like a classic staple of both fiction about teenagers and the actual teenage experience like oh how she's so dreamy how could she ever fall in love with a guy like me how long will quoth be a teenager i guess throughout the rest of the 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 story being told i mean like until he catches up or at least gets closer to coat because i I think i think coat tops is like 21 i think the fact that coat is difficult to age, to, to pin down an actual age of, is part of one, one of the many mysteries. 
I, I think that that question is kind of impossible to answer until we get the third book all hashed well, out. Well, let's hash it out. One way or another, we'll put Nick's, uh, Nick's time loop theory to rest. That's right. When it's proven true in book three. Uh-huh. When it's proven true on tomorrow's page. Of the... Wee. Wee.